Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. Spring training is in full swing, and we're going to talk about uh, some interesting moves. Logan Morrison is a twin. The Angels have changed their ballpark, and we've got a couple of guys that you may not actually think about that much, but we find them incredibly interesting, and isn't that the purpose of this show after all? Where do you want to start with the Angels wall? I mean, any, you know how much I love park factors, right? So anytime a ballpark has changed something about itself, everybody wants to know, I think fantasy players mostly want to know, uh, what impact will this have on everybody? So you saw the Angels change their wall, right? Now, I did. Let me ask you, because I was wrong about this. The news was that the Angels lowered the height of their right field wall from 18 feet to 8 feet. What did, what did you think that meant? Is this a trick question? No, exactly. <laughs> uh, I guess I assume that meant that it was 18 feet tall and it was now going to be 8 feet tall. Wrong. That's exactly what yeah. I thought, too. It turns out that they're not actually lowering the physical structure. That's what I thought it was going to be. The physical structure, uh, the height is the same. They're adding a, a, a new out-of-town scoreboard. They're changing the yellow line, right? So they're just changing the definition of what a home run is. Oh, this is going to be a disaster. I know. <laughs> I know. It's going to lead to so much confusion. So it used to be at the top, like the old line where the fans, you know, are sitting. And now it's between the scoreboard and the actual outfield wall. That's where the new yellow line is. So it's going to be a lot of uh, judgment calls. Can I can I go on a mini rant about uh, home run walls? <laughs> yes. The best home run wall in baseball is at Progressive Field in Cleveland where they have like basically like a five feet flat area that prevents fans from so there's never any, dis, any never any dispute over what a home run is because basically like the fans can't literally reach over the fence because there's like a flat space. Oh, well, like people put their drinks on yeah, it. On exactly. The top. Yes, I agree with you on that. So as far as the Angels go, yes, that is going to lead to some confusion, obviously. But I was interested to see what would happen, right? And if you look at Angels uh, Angels Stadium, it's never really been much of a hitters park. I think it's kind of an underrated sneaky pitchers park. And if you look at the Angels the last two years, uh, in 2017 they slugged 406 at home that was the lowest in the american league and the year before they slugged 399 at home ahead of only oakland now obviously a lot of that can be due to talent level and the angels haven't really been a great team but they have had mike trout so it's not like they haven't had anybody who can slug um and then of course this year they've added obviously shohei otane and you know trout should play a full season and they've added kozart and they've added kinsler so you'd expect just from talent that the angels would probably hit more home runs at home this year but now the wall or you know the definition of a home run is going to drop from 18 feet uh, to eight feet. So we're, we're in the middle right now of running the numbers. So I don't want to go too deep into it yet. I will have an article out about this. But from what we've seen uh, so far, I'm expecting there's going to be approximately 20 more home runs per year. And we actually looked at this with our, with our friend, Annie Kim, and we looked at the 3D trajectory of every batted ball hit to right field uh, and right center field at Angel Stadium over the last two years. And it's pretty interesting to see. You'll be able to see the graphics when we put out the article. And I think Cole Calhoun might get himself a little bit of a boost. In 2016, it looks like he may have gained four more home runs. Uh, remember, it would still it, hit the same he spot would have on the wall. home runs if the wall is where it was now. Right. I mean, if you're looking for a visual, basically, you know, they, they've got like that out-of-town scoreboard that takes up the upper half of the right field walls. So basically, any ball that was hit off that is now going to be a home run. It's still going to look the same, yes. but now it's going to be yeah. a home run, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, yeah, which is that. Uh, so Calhoun in 2016, maybe plus four. Last year, maybe plus two, kind of spread out otherwise. Uh, I think he's probably going to be the one that's going to benefit the most from this. Last year, he had 81 pulled balls in the air, fly balls and line drives, 15th most of any lefty hitter. And I should say, People want this to be for Shohei Otani because he's a lefty power hitter. They've been thinking about this for quite some time. This is not a Shohei Otani change. Although it should be noted, speaking of Otani, that Otani is scheduled to be in the lineup today as we record this. Uh, we're recording on a Tuesday afternoon. 
uh, in Salt River uh, in spring training. So where we have Statcast, so if uh, Otani hits 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 the ball far or really hard, we will get a measurement on it, which is, as far as I'm concerned, exciting. Uh, I mean, that's the most exciting part of spring training is anybody who comes through Salt River, where the Rockies and Diamondbacks play. Uh, what I liked about the the data, the early data that I'm looking at for this, is. A couple of days ago, when this news first came out, our friend Tom Tango just did an estimate of what he thought the change in home runs might have been. And he said his expectation would be 7% to 9% increase in home runs. Based on what I'm looking at now, it's about 10%. So that's pretty good. That's a that's a pretty close guess. Uh, but it's less of a difference in run scoring than you'd think. Maybe only about 10 more runs because a lot of these balls were doubles anyway. We're not changing outs. I mean, some of them will be, but not really outs in the home runs. It's doubles in the home runs. They're actually, they're really, I mean, we consider it's, I mean, maybe one or two outs in the course of a year, but pretty much every ball that hit this space was an extra base hit to begin with. Most likely. I think I saw when I was looking through like one Pujols fly out that someone made a nice jumping catch on. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, that's change in Angel Stadium. And I think I'm pretty excited to see how that played out. There has been a signing. Logan Morrison has signed with the Twins. Uh, we'll get to that in just one second. But first, a quick second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Spring training is in full swing, which means it's time to tell you about your fantasy drafts. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association for five years in a row. And one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app. This app helps you get the expert advice and analysis you need to make moves like a big league GM and crush your league. You'll be able to draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone. Sign up by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app or going to yahoo.com slash fantasybaseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball is the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. The Twins signed Logan Morrison for one year and $6.5 million with an $8 million vesting option for the next season. And, uh, you know, he had a great season last year, 38 home runs. He is an obvious launch angle guy, right? Obvious airball revolution. If you look at the launch angle data, uh, which is from StatCast, powered by Amazon Web Services, in 2015, a 10.8-degree launch angle, 2016, a 12-degree launch angle, and in 2017, a 17-degree launch angle. That is an enormous jump. His ground ball rate dropped from 44% to 44% to 33%. Uh, this is a pretty good deal for the Twins for a one-year guarantee. I know Morrison hasn't really been that effective in the years previous to this, uh, but he was very clearly trying something new last year. And also, I mean, what's interesting, he's had a weird career, right? He had like a, you know, in 2010, he came up, played a partial season, you know, Hit 283, 390, 447. He looked like a really promising player in 2011. Going to 2011, a lot of like, he was sort of one of these like, oh, fantasy sleepers, like first full season. This guy's going to be, you know, he's a pretty good prospect. He's going to rake. He basically repeated that season almost, you know, maybe not identically, but had a very nice season again. And then he's sort of gone up and down, but never really like broken out. Last year, obviously, with the 38 homers, was like the clear breakout season for him. And he also, like, as you noted, he really changed the way he hit the ball. You know, we, we don't have StatCast going back to 2010, but we can tell you in 2010 his ground ball rate was 48%. Last year was 33%. So he was productive in a very different way uh, seven, eight years ago than he was last year. It's, it's always hard to know with these guys who just have these out-of-nowhere power bursts, how much of it is real and how much of it is just the fact that everybody's hitting home runs in Major League Baseball right now. And, you know, for, for him, obviously, we talked about the launch angle. If you look at his expected weighted on base, the gains were absolutely legit. Uh, 332 in 2015 to 340 in 2016 to 365 in 2017. And he also very specifically talked about trying to do this. He spoke to Fangraphs uh, last April, and he basically said, I've always heard guys say if they fly out three or four times a night, that's a good night. That's Justin Turner. That's exactly what he told us. And he and Morrison said, I was always taught 
hit the ball on the ground and run, and I'm not even fast. <laughs> we hear that a lot too. Like how many players were taught that when they're younger? It's not a great strategy if you were not a speed player. So Morrison also continued to say, when you're struggling, what are you told to do? You go back to basics and try to hit a ground ball up the middle. But I get shifted, so that would mean I'm out. So now my back to basics is to try to hit a fly ball up the middle. Valuing that side of it, launch angle and all that stuff has really helped me out a lot. So, you know, I like kind of looking up the soft factors as well as the data to say, was this a fluke? Is this just a thing that happened? Or was this guy actively trying to change his approach? For Morrison, I'm kind of buying into this. And that's why I think the projections, which, you know, very fairly don't think that much of him, because if you look at 2015, he had a negative 0.2 war in 2016, a 0.5 war, and last year a 3.3 war. Now, the projections are not going to throw out that earlier data, nor should they. But I think I think I'll take the over on this one because I see a guy who's actually actively changed his approach. And not to mention the fact, you know, like it's a pretty low risk deal for the Twins, right? Like this is, a, you know, it gives them power, adds depth. I mean, he's replacing Kenny Vargas on the depth chart, basically. That's an upgrade. Um, the Twins, depending on how you think feel about them, are you know, in the thick of the playoff rates or, you know, a fringe contender somewhere in that range. You know, the, the projections on fan graphs aren't that high in them. I think Morrison bumped them from the, – the Morrison deal bumped the Twins from 81 to 82 wins. Um, but, you know, for a team that I, – I, I see a lot of upside, at least in the lineup. The pitching is still an issue. I still think they're going to sign a pitcher. And, you know, you've heard us talk about Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn before. How big of an upgrade they are is also a bit of a debate. But they're both upgrades in Minnesota. Yeah, they've actually signed a bunch of pitchers so far. They traded for Jake Odorizzi, signed Addison Reed, Fernando Rodney, Zach Duke, Annabelle Sanchez, all worthwhile guys to have. None that I see are actually a huge upgrade. And so Logan Morrison is the first offensive upgrade they've had. And you're right, it's this could be a really good lineup, right? Like Dozier is a star. Uh, everybody knows how we feel about Byron Buxton, although obviously there's still some inconsistency there. Maurer had a quietly pretty good year last year. And, you know, Miguel Sano, obviously he's been hurt. We don't know about his playing status, but when he's healthy and available to play, he crushes the ball. This could be a really good offense. I don't know who's going to pitch. <laughs> like, you know, Irvin Santana's hurt, and the fact that that's a huge loss is kind of a problem for them, I think. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of betting on... If you if, if you see the, the glasses uh, half full for the Twins, you're definitely betting on Berrios to be... Uh, to kind of put it all together this year and be maybe not a true number one, but you know an elite, an elite starter, you know top top ten percent of the league kind of thing, which is I think is within his grasp. I wouldn't necessarily count on it, but he's when you look at the Twins, maybe as they're varying somewhere between in my mind, like between seventy eight and ninety wins. You know, there's a, there's a world where they win ninety games, ninety plus games, and he's you know getting Cy Young votes. That is a, a pretty large variance. I think. I mean, you're it, you're right to say it. Um, it does feel like they have to get one of these starting pitchers. I don't know how that's actually going to go for them, but I don't I don't know how they can go into the season with this kind of rotation. But it's interesting because if you look at the American League Central, right? I think I'm kind of lower on the Twins than most people are. So I'll call them a 500 team. Uh, we all know Detroit is rebuilding. The White Sox are rebuilding. Kansas City is rebuilding. Cleveland's going to win this by like. 35 games i mean that's hyperbole right but i i don't think they're the best team in baseball i think houston's the best team in baseball i do wonder if cleveland has an easier path to the most wins because all five american league west teams are interesting to me and i'm not sure that three and a half of the american league central teams are going to be super competitive this year doesn't that make it a lot easier for cleveland yes um but i i guess i feel i'm a little uh higher on the twins definitely i think i mean the royals are going to be not good, but the White Sox could be spunky. They've got a lot of young guys who could come up, and those are the kinds of teams you never, you don't really know. But I think the White White Sox are going to be a little tougher than uh, than people think. So I don't know. I I I think the Twins are going to be within five games of the end. Five game. Oh wow! 
I, uh, wow, I would I would have put the over under on like twelve, five. All right, uh, well, I didn't realize know, that was such a that was gonna, such a scorching day. I'm, well, uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will let us know how they feel about that one. I'm going to mentally mark down that the Twins will be within five games of Cleveland, and we'll see how we feel about that at the end of the year. But this but this brings me to another team um, because I think the AL wild card race is really interesting because the Twins have gotten a lot of pub, and I was kind of looking through the the standings projections and kind of glancing through, and I was shocked when I looked at the projections on Fangraphs to see that they have the Blue Jays winning 87 games. I was like, it's kind of floored by this. And it it made me rethink the Blue Jays in, a, in like a, a serious way. Let me, how about this? Excluding the teams who we think are going to win their divisions, right? The Astros, the Dodgers, and everything. Is there a more obvious selection, uh, a preseason prediction than Blue Jays third place in a division, right? Everybody's going to pick Yankees and Boston 1-2. Everybody's going to pick Tampa and Baltimore 4-5 in some order. I don't think there's a more obvious this team is going to be in this specific spot than the Blue Jays at number three in the AL East. That's, 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 <laughs> Maybe the Twins second in the Central. I'll give you that. Yeah, probably. But yes, those uh, and those. I mean, those are probably the two you know primary contenders. I guess you put the Angels in there for that you know third second AL wild card spot, right? Those are the three teams. I think most people we kind of assume Yankees or Red Sox. One of them will take the first wild card card spot, and then it's. Yeah, Blue Jays, Angels, Twins, I guess are probably the, the top teams. I guess teams. the Mariners, yeah. if you're feeling good about the Mariners. But I think I'd take all three of those teams above the Mariners. I would too. The Rangers, I don't trust the I mean, I'm I'm, in, I'm going to enjoy watching the A's, but I don't think they're going to be in the mix. So I guess, you know, what is it about, and I'll you know I'll pose this to you because I'm still not entirely sure. What is it about the Blue Jays that that projections are, are so, or at least this projection is so, so psyched about? Josh Donaldson. <laughs> right, I, I guess he's still pretty good. I, I had him as my number one overall third baseman, and that, that was a little controversial. Yes, I mean, they, he is an MVP caliber player when he's healthy. And in the second half of last year, he basically had his... He was hit, as good as his MVP year. Hit, you know, uh, Russell Martin could still have a bounce back. Justin Smoke had a fantastic year last year. They've actually really improved their outfield, right? Like, Randall Gritchuk still is really interesting. I know Granderson was terrible when he got traded to the Dodgers, but he was really good with the Mets before that. Uh, their Their outfield is so much better than it was over the previous year and the bullpen i think is interesting roberto osuna is one of the best closers in baseball who absolutely nobody talks about he's like a top five closer for me and uh they actually just added soon wang oh who you might remember in 2016 was really really good for the cardinals final boss the final boss and then in 2017 was not so good with the cardinals and then reportedly had a deal with the texas rangers a couple weeks ago that fell through and that usually doesn't give you a lot of confidence about uh, especially an older player but He's with the Blue Jays now on a one-year deal, right? And that's that's there's like a no risk to this. Yeah, I, I kind of love him as a bounce-back candidate. Like I'm, I'm going purely based on sort of velo and expected weight on base because, like, I, you know, I'll admit I wasn't scouting him to see where his location was, and obviously something went wrong with the Rangers for the deal to fall apart. Maybe something in the medicals. Who knows? That's pure speculation. But you know, his his velo was identical basically on his fastball and slider last year from the previous year. It was like right now, between 92 and 93 on the fastball, around 85, 86 for the slider. Nothing crazy there. The ERA went from 1.92 to 4.1. And the FIP, uh, fielding independent pitching, you know, based on um, strikeouts, walks, and home runs on the ERA scale, went from 2.13 to 4.44. That's bad. But expected weight on base last year was 298. Weight on base was 338. So clearly there's a disconnect there. The expected weight on base, you know, brings in quality of contact, strikeouts and walks. That leads me to believe that even if he's not going to be as dominant as he was 
in 2016 that there's still an effective relief pitcher in there. Yeah, and I, I think you're right because he was really, really good that first year. Uh, and I was I was kind of surprised to see everybody putting so much emphasis on last year unless there's something obvious with his health, which, as you said, the velocity was there, so it doesn't seem like there is. I do think a big part of the Blue Jays' outlook is their starting rotation. They need Aaron Sanchez to be the 2016 version, not the injured 2017 version. Uh, they need Marco Estrada to look more like he did the previous year, which I, I think he will because the outfield defense is going to be so much better. Uh, the problem is that Marcus Stroman is already dealing with some shoulder problems. Gregor Chisholm, our BlueJays.com beat reporter, reported earlier that he has shoulder inflammation. There's no timetable yet for his spring debut, and that Stroman would not commit to being ready for opening day, which is problematic i guess yeah i mean the good thing about you know assuming it's not serious you know with all the off days early in the season you can usually get you know if you basically recalibrate your prep and take a few days off in spring training you could basically get through missing one start and like you know it's like 10 days into the season you've only really missed one start so like you can get through like the second time through the rotation like there's you know before we get too worried about it i'd like to give it the uh the the benefit the benefit of the doubt and before we, we move on to a couple other Guys you should know. Actually, we'll start with guys you should know, sticking on the Blue Jays. Um, you mentioned Gritchick before. So last year, uh, we looked at barrels per plate appearance. You know, you know, long-time listeners know a barrel is basically the stat cast definition of a well-hit, a perfectly struck batted ball, something with a l- high likelihood of being an extra base hit. Um, Aaron Judge led the majors last year with 86 barrels. Um, last year, barrels per plate appearances, p- per plate appearances, minimum 50 Batted balls, number eight, Randall Grichik, uh, 9.5 barrels per plate appearance, which, you know, for those who've been following StatCast since the beginning in 2015, the first year, he was kind of a StatCast darling because he was one of the first people that sort of leapt out when you looked at, you know, the exit velocity numbers, like, wow, this guy hits the ball really hard. I really, I'm going to reconsider what I think about this guy. Well, tied with Grichik on that leaderboard, or actually just a step above, above him by some decimal points, uh, at 9.5 barrels per plate appearance, Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, right now, an extra outfielder for the Blue Jays came up, came over in the Liriano trade last year from the um, from the Astros. He's an interesting guy. And so when I think of how the Blue Jays might sort of exceed expectations, you see someone with that kind of batted ball quality. Granted, he strikes out a lot. He did a lot of his damage in September. So in many ways, a perfect comp for him is Randall Grichik. But he's a guy. He's he's one to watch for. I mean, I I've always found him interesting. And yeah, I mean, the, the Blue Jays outfield is deeper than it was. Outfield was an enormous problem for them last year. And they still have Steve Pierce kicking around. You know, they need Justin Smoke to kind of repeat what he had. So I will I will say that I'm actually, just having had this conversation with you, more intrigued by the Blue Jays than I was an hour ago. Because I hadn't really thought about them as being a serious contender. And now that I'm thinking about the American League, it's like, yeah, Blue Jays, Twins and Angels. And that's like my tier right there for that second wild card. And I think that, you know, you mentioned Donaldson before. People kind of forget how good... He is. So good. Yeah, and like yeah, so good. I'm sure many of you saw that video that was pulling around the other day of Jake Joey Votto at Reds Camp on MLB Network talking about hitting, and he basically invoked Donaldson as like you know his like perfect swing and perfect mechanics, and it was just like a good reminder of just like he is fun to watch hit. He is so fun to watch it. We are going to talk about a couple of uh, lower lower level names that you should know, and the, the first one here is is for Matt. It's Richard Blyer. Now, before we tell you anything about Richard Blyer, I want you to take a second and think to yourself. Do I know what team Richard Blyer is on? Because <laughs> I'm going to guess that for a lot of you, the answer is no. It's actually the Baltimore Orioles. And I'll be honest, until yesterday, until someone mentioned him to me yesterday, I had no idea who he was. And then I started digging in on him, and he's fascinating. Please, please tell us about Richard Blyer. <laughs> well, well, to give you a little, little bio on Richard, Richard, Richard uh, Blyer. I have, who, I have a trivia question for you about Richard Blyer. I can't wait. Um, 
He debuted with the Yankees in 2016, originally drafted by the Rangers in 2008, a sixth-round pick at a Florida Gulf Coast, two years before Chris Sale. So he was he uh, presumably overlapped with Chris Sale for a year at uh, Florida Gulf Coast. He, uh, he was effective in 23 appearances with the Yankees in 2016, traded almost exactly a year ago, February 25th, uh, 2017, for cash to the Orioles, and proceeded to have a 1.99 ERA in 63rd and 3rd innings. Um, with a 68.8% ground ball rate, second only to Scott Alexander, recently traded from the Royals to the Dodgers, uh, for any pitcher with a minimum of 50 innings pitched. Now, before he was traded from the Yankees to the Orioles, he was designated for assignment. Do you know who he was designated for assignment for? Like, who did the Yankees need to get on the roster to make a space for? Um, the answer is no, you don't know. Aaron Judge? Chris Carter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they let go of what turned out to be a pretty interesting pitcher uh, for Chris Carter. That was a, that was my trivia effect. So I guess the uh, you know Yankees fans really hated Chris Carter last year, oh, yeah. and um, if if they if they if they knew, and now some of them will know what they gave up to get him, they'll be even more mad about that. So we we were talking to uh, Tom Tango about Richard Blyer, and if you look at the Fangraphs leaderboards, one of my favorite metrics there is strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. Right, it's a good way to look at who missed a lot of bats without walking a lot of hitters, and if you look at the bottom thirty, the guys who were the worst at this. Every single one of the bottom 30 had an ERA over four, except for Richard Blyer, who had a 199 ERA. And now that's entirely based on strikeouts and walks. It has nothing to do with quality of contact. But I think we're establishing here, that's his strength, right? As you said, a, a 69% ground ball rate is second overall. Uh, if you look at uh, the quality of contact metric we call topped, which is basically hit right into the ground, he had the third highest percentage of this behind Scott Alexander and Zach Britton. Uh, and he also has the third lowest average spin rate on a two-seamer or a sinker behind Matt Grace and Brett Anderson. So pretty clearly, you know, he's not blowing guys away. He's not getting a lot of strikeouts. But ground balls after ground balls he, after ground he throws, balls. He throws like 90, um, barely. And, you know, the um, to, you know, to remind you, you know, low spin can be effective on a sinker because it basically means the ball drops. Or it's not a one-to-one correlation, but often that's sort of like the – the effect you get from a low spin two seam is you get you get the drop on it. Luis Perdomo, Perdomo, for example, has very low spin on his two seam, which is why he generates a lot of ground balls as well. Do you tell me more about Luis Perdomo. <laughs> oh, maybe another time. I, I, listen, so I'm going to name you a list of seven relievers. Okay, Richard Blyer is one of them. Richard Blyer and six other names. And tell me if you think this group of names would have been a good strong bullpen in 2017. Richard Blyer, uh, Andrew Miller, obviously is fantastic. Tyler Olson, Nick Goody, Blake Parker, Anthony Swarzak, and Kirby Yates. Those seven guys all had pretty good years last year. Obviously, Miller is elite, but those other six guys all had pretty good years last year. I find this really fascinating. All seven of those guys were briefly members of the 2016 Yankees, and not a single one was on the Yankees in 2017. And they all had good years, but it's not like the Yankees had a bad bullpen. They had a fantastic bullpen, just shedding bullpen talent <laughs> left and right here. Couldn't the Yankees know what they're doing when it comes to identifying bullpen talent? And, you know, we talked that they are a team that many i've i've heard has the largest analytics department in in baseball and the ability to sort of identify diamond and the rough relievers would seem to be something that would be a, a good analytics department would be able to do and so i'm starting to connect the dots here well obviously they traded miller for a huge return but keep some of these guys they're really good i guess you know maybe these guys would be like the eighth best reliever in a stacked amazing yankees bullpen although I, they did i mean they did trade some assets last year to get Robertson and, and Tommy Canley. And Tommy Canley. So yeah. maybe they probably, you know, 
would, would, would redo that if they still had, oh, I don't know, Richard Blyer. And now you know something about Richard Blyer. That was Matt's guy. The, the guy I want to talk about here is J.D. Davis. And uh, I'm going to break one of the cardinal rules of baseball and talk to you about three games worth of spring training stats. He is a uh, third baseman for the Astros. In his first three games, two homers, a double, a 5.56 on base percentage. I'm not going to pretend it's meaningful. It's absolutely not. But if you look at his relatively small sample stat cast stats, somewhat similar to Oscar Hernandez last year. His numbers were really good. Last year, 500 hitters had 40 balls in play. And if you just look at exit velocity in the air, so fly balls and line drives, 97.7 miles an hour for J.D. Davis. That was eighth behind some really impressive names, Judge, Stanton, Gallo, Chris with a K, Davis, Sano, Nelson Cruz, and Matt Olson. He was eighth. He had six barrels in 68 plate appearances. That means that 8.8% of his plate appearances were barrels. That rate was 15th out of 500. I know I'm not talking about huge samples here, but you also can't fake hitting a barrel. Like that's a skill. You you absolutely need to have it. He only had a 279 on base for the Astros last year, but he slugged 484 and in 461 plate appearances between double A and triple A, 345 on base, 527 slugging, 26 home runs. But wait, he also pitched. He was a college closer. He actually got into two games last year as a pitcher for the Astros, and it was pretty good. He faced seven hitters, three strikeouts, one hit, one walk, Topped out at 93.4 miles an hour with really good sync. I was watching some of this. His two-seamers are legit. Uh, he got Marcus Semyon, I believe, on a ridiculous changeup. There's no room in Houston for him whatsoever. I mean, if you look, obviously, on the left side of the infield, Bregman and Correa, the AAA Astros infield could be kind of stacked with Tyler White and Tony Kemp and A.J. Reed and Davis. I've also just sort of talked myself out of them trying to sign Lucas Duda. Because if they're going to win this division by 15 games anyway, just let one of these guys go hit. Because Gurriel might be hurt. We know he's going to be suspended. Forget Lucas Duda. Let one of these guys play. You know, maybe J.D. Davis also could be, the, you know, we talk about people are talking now about how Otani could open the door to two-way players. That's maybe exactly. that could be his door. You know, is... he, pitched, he played at Cal State Fullerton, not exactly a baseball lightweight as a junior. Uh, struck out 22 batters in 20 innings, seven saves, you know. This is this is exactly what I was I was going for. I like they have uh, Anthony Ghost, I believe, who's trying to do this. Yeah, yeah, although he's gonna be more like I think I don't really think he's gonna bat, but he might field and pinch run. Sure, but JD Davis and this is the perfect team to do this with. I, JD Davis could extend their bullpen to like fourteen guys. Uh, he can play a little bit of left field, which they need. He can play a little bit of first base, which they need. Obviously, he's not gonna get much third base time with Alex Bregman there, so maybe he's trade bait. Uh, but he's a guy I just find interesting, and I if you get the chance, go watch those two games he pitched, because the pitches were for real. I mean, they actually looked really good. He's got power. Um, you know, he strikes out too much. But I, I just really like seeing guys who have interesting stat cast numbers, who are interesting players and interesting teams. Like, I really would love to see the J.D. experience, J.D. He's, Davis experience. There's just not really room for him, and that's the problem. No. That team is too good. I mean, it's it's the Astros are about as good as any team I could like their roster right now. It's like... Yeah, what, like, what's their weakness? In left field, oh, we've only got Marwin Gonzalez and, uh, who am I forgetting, T- uh, Tucker... And, uh, you know, Mariznick, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kyle Tucker, who's, uh, who's already homer twice this spring, and his teammates are all calling right. him Ted because oh, he once got compared to Ted Williams when he was 18 and, years old. And Derek Fisher, isn't it? Like, they've just got, they, they're projected at Fangraphs for 101 wins. And projections are, by their nature, supposed to be conservative, and they are projected for 101 wins. I mean, this is going to be, uh, without hyperbole, one of the best teams ever. I say ever. I mean, they, you never know injuries, but sure. they are, on paper, as strong as a team I mean, I guess last year they were pretty pretty darn strong, too. It worked out well you know, last There year. was a time, you know, in June where it was like, oh, can they win 110 games? And the Dodgers looked like it. And then both of them sort of like hit a sputtered at one point. But uh, this team is a well, 
Will-oiled machine. So in addition to Richard Blyer, now you know something about J.D. Davis. Uh, and if we're not here to bring interesting data on interesting guys, what are we here for? That is our show uh, for this week. Next week will be interesting. We're going to talk about our upcoming appearance at the Sabre Analytics Conference, talk about some of the things we'll be talking about there. Should be a lot of fun. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.